Hi there, Dora Hope. This is Tim, and it's really good to be with you today. Um, you're used to seeing Josh a lot. Uh, he has actually preached every single week since we have been in quarantine and haven't been meeting on Sundays. And so he's getting a well-earned break for the next couple Sundays. I'm going to be teaching today, but I also wanted to just take a minute and give you an update. My role at the church is uh, to lead the staff and the ministries of the church. And I just wanted to take a minute to, to update you on a number of things going on uh, in the life of the church. And, and first, uh, before I get into even some of those details, guys, I just want to acknowledge that it's a, it's a hard time in the life of our church. Door of Hope at its core is kind of a, a loosely organized and highly relational church, right? And, and really the center of that relational life has been gathering on Sundays. All our staff, all our ministries, everything kind of centers around that regular meeting reality that has defined a lot of the life of Door of Hope. And now it's been more than five months since we have been able to meet. We all feel the strain of that. Please trust me, man, the, the, the staff feel the strain and it just grows every week that we continue not being able to meet. Nothing can replace that central gathering, but we're still the church. We're still a family. We still are a, a group of, of God's people here gathering in the city of Portland to be a witness to his love and his grace. And, and so in the midst of all that, the staff are, are trying to pull together as many ways as possible to be connected. Right now, our city allows us to gather in groups of up to 50, either indoors or outdoors. And when we, at some point, get to phase two of the reopening plan here in Multnomah County, we'll be able to actually go all the way to gatherings of 250. And at that point, we're planning on holding, uh, starting to hold services again. But we really don't know when that's gonna be. The best guess, the, the best case scenario that from what I'm hearing right now, and I'm on calls and email chains regularly with other church leaders, there's a faith liaison uh, from the governor's office that gives uh, updates regularly, and, and, and the best guess is probably mid-fall. And it could take much longer than that. So in the meantime, what we're trying to do is is create as many small opportunities, smaller group opportunities, for folks to connect with one another in, in different ways. And so I, I wanted to give you just an update about some of those things. And actually when, when I even wrote down this list, it was kind of encouraging because we've come up with quite a few things. And I want to acknowledge that some of the ideas that we've come up with have come from you. And so if you have more ideas, of, of different ways, different things that you'd like to see that would be an encouragement, don't hesitate to, to reach out and share those ideas with us. So, so first, we have community groups. We've always had community groups. We still have community groups. A lot of the community groups are still going strong. Uh, many of them, not all, but, but most of them are actually meeting in person. And if you haven't connected to a community group, there's still opportunity to do so. We would love to have you do that. Uh, there's also regular prayer. Right now, we're in the middle of a season of daily prayer, where we're gathering every morning of seven days a week at 6 a.m. at the amphitheater at Mount Tabor Park. We'd love to have you join us for prayer. Uh, we started a weekly Bible study it's open to anybody going through Psalms. And I'm actually going to be teaching on Psalms today. And if you like this message, it's myself and Pip Craighead, our community group's pastor, are, are tag-teaming that study that meets uh, at the Taylor Building outside in the parking lot at 5 p.m. every Sunday. 
Um, Evan, our worship pastor, has started holding uh, regular uh, worship nights in his backyard. We'd love to have you join us uh, uh, if, you, if you miss the opportunity of, of gathering together and singing. Uh, we announced a new group, uh, I think uh, sometime in the last two weeks, uh, that's about to start for men who are struggling uh, with lust and, and porn in the midst of this time. And I know that that's a, a huge issue right now in the midst of isolation and quarantine. Uh, we're starting a new Pure Desires group. Uh, our Care Kits ministry has started uh, to uh, go out again delivering resources and trying to build relationships with folks that are living outside in our area. Uh, there's a new men's Bible study that's about to start that you'll see on our events page soon. Um, we're looking towards a bunch of new uh, women's ministry activities in the fall. There's a survey that's about to go out uh, to kind of gauge the level of interest and in a bunch of, of those kind of things. Uh, and every week, uh, the, the, the children's ministry team is putting out content for kids. So there's a lot of different things actually going on that has kind of grown over time, and a lot of people are taking advantage of that. And so I just want to direct you for information on all of that. Just go to our website. Uh, you can click on the community page at the top of the page to sign up for community groups. And also there you can sign up for our newsletter, uh, which is a, a main way to stay in touch with everything going on at the church. And then you can click uh, the events button at the top that has details about every single event that I just mentioned. So at last in the midst of all this, I know that a lot of you don't like email. I don't like email. Portland folks in general are not particularly in to email, and I understand. But, but in this time right now, we really don't have a lot of other ways to communicate beyond electronically. So it's email, it's text, it's phone, it's our website, it's social media. That has not been the center of the life of Door of Hope. But unfortunately, it has to be now. And so I would just ask, please, even if you have to plug your nose, uh, keep an eye on your email because we're, we're sending out regular communication about all the things going on. We want you to stay connected in the midst of all this. And that's how you're going to hear news. It's not very door of hope, but it kind of is where we're at for now. So the staff and I, we long to see you again. We miss you. We want you to stay connected. Keep on loving one another and, and don't hesitate, like I said, to reach out with new ideas. And we'll get through it together. And God is changing us. He's molding us. He's, he's, he's working in us to help us grow and adapt and become the church that he wants us to be, even though the circumstances are not what any of us wish they were. So I hope that's helpful. Just a little bit of an idea of, of more of what's going on in this time. And uh, I'm glad to give you that update. I'm also really glad to be able to teach today. And today, like I said, we're going to be in the book of, of Psalms. I love the Psalms. I've taught a lot on Psalms over the year. The Psalm over the years, the, the, the Psalms are, are all about seeking God's glory in all kinds of difficult circumstances. And, and good circumstances too, from, from the heights of joy and praise and, and worship and celebration to the depths of anxiety and depression and despair and everywhere in between. The Psalms talk about what it looks like to seek God's God's glory in the midst of all those things. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 42 and 43, not just because I'm wanting to preach two passages, but because I think at some point they were probably one Psalm and they really are meant to go together. And so uh, before we, we take a look more at it, I just want to take a moment to, to sit and, and listen to the words of Psalm 42 and 43. And so I've asked Nellie Richardson our uh, children's ministry admin to read the scripture. Let's set aside anything that might be distracting us and let's just listen 
to the words of this song. Hi, Door of Hope. I'm Nellie, and I work in the kids' ministry. Um, we've been missing seeing uh, you families, and um, I hope that this sermon just gives you some hope um, in the midst of this really weird season. So here's Psalms 42 and 43. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, Where's your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where's your God? Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, God, and defend my cause against an ungodly nation, Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. I will praise you with the lyre, God my God. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. like you have forgotten me, but the problem is all mine. Give me eyes to see you, destroy and revive, restore and remind your face is not hidden, but I have been so I see my chest has been tied and now I can breathe as I look up you lift up my head oh, to see your glory It feels like you have forgotten me, but the problem is all mine. 
give me eyes to see Destroy and revive, restore and remind your face Is not hidden, but I have been so blind Cleansed I see, my chest has been tied Now I can breathe as I lie up you lift up my head oh, to see your work oh to see your work oh to see your glory Greater love 
Jesus, come down. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And I thank you specifically for your word in the Psalms. Thank you for how they show us what it looks like to praise you and to seek your glory, even in the midst of really difficult things. I just ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now to me and to everyone who hears this message to help us to understand more of what that looks like in our hearts, in our minds, in, in our souls right now in the midst of such a difficult season in the world, in our city, and in our church. So teach us now. Amen. Well, as we come to the Psalms today, I just want to acknowledge at the beginning that the, that the Psalms, like most of the scripture, is, well, really all the scripture, if I'm honest, it, it, it was written a long time ago in a, a very different place, a very different culture, different language, different time. And, and that means that there's always somewhat of a gap to fill between our current day and what's most urgent in our lives and and what was going on when the scripture was actually written. And sometimes it's harder to bridge that gap than others. Not so much with this psalm. I feel like what we're going to look at today is speaking really clearly to, to circumstances that are so relatable. The psalm finds the, the psalmist, uh, it, it's written by a group, I guess. Uh, it just references the sons of Korah. They were priests. They were song leaders in the nation of Israel. And, and they find themselves in such a relatable position, struggling, feeling distant from God, in, in deep distress, not being able to gather together as God's people, and sinking into despair. And it raises the question, and this is what I want to really think about in our time together today, is what do we do when we find ourselves in places like that? What do we do? Do we just wait for it to pass? Do we take our feelings and our pain and just stuff it down as deep as possible? Just try to be happy? Just put a, a smiley face on it no matter how we feel internally? Do we just press on with life? What are we supposed to do? As this, this pandemic continues, the nation really as a whole is starting to acknowledge not just a a physical health toll and, and a financial and an employment toll, but, but a mental toll. Depression, anxiety, suicide are all way up. I have felt this. Everyone around me has felt this. Right before I came to give this message, I was meeting with the, the staff. We meet uh, a couple times a week, one to do kind of business, and then another time just to like check in with each other and, and listen to one another and pray for each other. And, and, Everyone on the staff and just about everyone I talk to is feeling some version of this. The, the longer this season wears on, the more of a toll it takes. And what are we supposed to do about it? What are we supposed to do with those feelings? Well, Psalm 42 and, and 43, I believe, gives us some insight. It has some, some answers for us. It's been a very significant psalm for me, one I go back to regularly, and I'm really excited to share some of this with you, because I think it's going to be really helpful. When you first just glance and read through Psalm uh, 42 and 43, one of the things you can, can quickly recognize is there's a, a repeating pattern. There's a phrase, this, this, why are you cast down, oh my soul? That phrase, that question comes up three times. And I think that really divides this section, this, 
this psalm that I think, uh, again, was, was probably one psalm put together or, or meant to go together at, at one point. It divides it into three sections. We're going to look at each of those three sections, the first one in more detail, and then kind of glance at, at the second two. And so let's look at this first section, which is, uh, which is Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. There's a three-part progression that goes in each section of this psalm. And the first part is this. He, he describes his distress. Right away, he gets right into it. Verse 1, and some of you have heard this. It's, it's, it's kind of a famous uh, analogy, a famous simile. Um, it says, as a, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Like a deer longs for water in a dry land, his soul thirsts for God. And specifically, it says, he asks this question, when shall I come and, and appear before God? And what he's referencing here is, is, is the temple. That was the center of Jewish life for Israel. And, he, and the guys that, that, that write this psalm, they're, they're priests who led people in worship in God's temple. And somehow he's separated from that whole experience. Jerusalem was where God's presence dwelt and where all of God's people longed to come and experience him together as God's people. Now, we can already, start, already kind of start to relate to this, can't we? I've been people. I've been a worship leader in one way or another, leading people in worship through song for. I counted it up when I was preparing to give this message. It's been over 28 years, but I have never gone this long without regularly singing together with God's people. Man, and I miss it. I miss you. I know you're feeling it too. I've I've heard this from from so many of you. He's longing for God and longing to experience God together with his people. He goes on in verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Two things are going on. First, we see he's in a place of, of intense sorrow. He's weeping, it says, day and night. Hunger has left him. It's like all he has to sustain him. The only food that he feels like he can get down are his tears. Now, personally, I'm not a big crier. It certainly happens. Uh, but it doesn't happen to me all the time. But I'll tell you, a few months ago, a couple months ago, actually, man, I was a mess. I, I know that some of you have experienced something similar. This is a time... In, in our lives individually, in our city, in our church, in our country, where it's, it's just issues stacked on issues stacked on issues. For me, there was a whole mess of these things. First of all, I, I think in March I probably had COVID and I was really sick for three weeks plus. Then we made some really difficult decisions regarding uh, staffing at the church. We let a couple people go and it was brutal because we and, and I loved the people that we needed to let go. And it was heart-wrenching, emotionally exhausting. Then I've got issues on the family front. Uh, my mother is in terrible health right now, has been in a continual state of, of life-threatening illness in one kind or another, not, not COVID-related, but related to a bunch of other health issues. She's still in the hospital. She's in the hospital now for weeks, maybe months. I, I almost can't even keep track of it. There's various other kinds of drama, and then all these things stacking up, weighing on me. And then when I got to, to May, 
straw that broke the camel's back is that I heard that an old pastor friend of mine, someone who had been a real source of encouragement to me at some really difficult times in the past, he committed suicide. What's more hopeless than suicide? And, and I don't remember. There was, there was a stretch of a, a week or two there when I don't remember when I cried more than those couple weeks. It's, it's been a long time. I can relate to this psalm intimately. And I know many of you can too. You're feeling the weight. Issues stacked on issues. Family, financial, health, economic, job, racial unrest. So many things. So he's, he's acknowledging this, this sorrow and he's also saying that part of what's going on with him is, is he's surrounded by, by voices accusing him. They're questioning his faith, saying, where's your God in the middle of all of it? And whether or not this is literally happening in your life, which it certainly happens from time to time with some of us, but, but whether this is literally happening with, with people questioning your faith, it, it's certainly always happening spiritually. We have a real spiritual enemy who mocks our faith. Satan, the accuser, is always piling on, and, and he comes when we're weakest and just adds more to the pile, to where we feel it so acutely. He's always accusing us, always accusing God's people of being imposters, questioning their faith, questioning God's goodness and faithfulness. We can all relate to that at some point. So the first thing we see the psalmist do in this, this progression is he, he's honest. He honestly describes his distress and his depression. He's brutally honest. He longs for God's presence. He feels dry and thirsty and far from him. He's weeping. He is sorrowful. And he's surrounded by voices that seem to accuse him and question his faith. That's the first part of this progression. Step one is, is, is acknowledging and being honest about your distress. Then he, he doesn't just sit in it. He, he does two active things to respond to those feelings. First, he remembers God's faithfulness. We see this in, in verse 4. He says, But these things I remember as I pour out my soul. He reminds himself of truth in the midst of his distress. He says, I remember, I feel far from God now. I long to be with God. I long to feel his presence. I long to worship with God's people. But I remember, I remember what it was like, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He remembers festivals and and celebrations and processions. Like for us, what, 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 what kind of equates to, to Christmas and Easter and Good Friday in the life of our church. He specifically remembers the experience of gathering together and raising our voices together to, to praise God. And he reminds himself, I may feel far from God now, but it has not always been that way. He remembers the times of, of closeness that he had with both God and God's people. And he reminds himself, this is how I feel now, but this is not going to be this way forever. I know this won't continue. So he actively reminds himself of God's faithfulness. And then he does something profound that I want to encourage everyone to emulate. He preaches to himself. 
At the end of each of these three sections, you see this refrain. He, he preaches to himself what I believe is a, is a two-part mini-sermon. First, a question to himself, and then a challenge, a strong challenge to himself. First, the question, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? The, the Hebrew word that's translated as cast down means to, to melt away, to sink down, to despair, he says. Why are, you, why are you melting and sinking and despairing, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil, which means distress, within him? He asks his soul why it's feeling that way. Now, I just want to take a minute on the word soul, because this is interesting. What do you think of when you first hear the word soul? Uh, things that, that are kind of the low-hanging fruit that I've heard, that I've thought uh, in, the, in the past about this, is, is most people conceive of the soul as, as the disembodied, immaterial part of yourself, right? It's the, the eternal spiritual self. It's, it's what separates us from animals. You've probably heard people say that, like, like we have a soul, animals don't in the same way. It's the part of us, uh, the Christians will say, um, will continue in heaven with God. But it might surprise you to learn that none of those things are actually taught in the Bible. The Bible Project has a really helpful video that, that helped me see this. Uh, if you just Google Bible Project soul, it'll come up with this word, uh, this one of the Bible Project's word study videos, and Tim Mackey goes into the, the nature of this word, and it's really interesting. It's the Hebrew word nefesh, and it's a major Old Testament word that, that comes up over 700 times. And the interesting thing is, it's most often translated as soul, but it's also translated as life and living and person. And here's the big idea. The Hebrew understanding of soul is not that disembodied spiritual versus physical kind of sense. The soul is the whole living person. It's the essence of what makes us who we are. And, and, and Mackey, the, the, the phrase that he uses in this Bible Project video is he says, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. So when the psalmist asks himself this question, when he says, why am I feeling this way? He's asking, my, why why?" Why does my whole life feel like it's in turmoil? Not just my spirit. I feel far from God spiritually and physically. I can't sleep though. I'm weeping. It's, it's not just my spiritual sense of who I am. It's, it's my whole self. It's my identity. Why am I thrown into such a funk? Why? He demands an answer from himself. And then he follows up with the challenge. He asks a question, then he follows up with a challenge. He says, hope in God. I believe that what's behind that challenge to himself is the idea that, that if we are feeling hopeless, it means that we have put our hope in something that wasn't meant to sustain it. The hope must have drifted from something else. He says, he says, what have I put my hope in? I think he's saying, what have I put my hope in that has let me down? Something, some, or someone must have failed me for me to feel this low. And I need to return my deepest hope to God, my only hope. Not, sorry, not my only hope, but my deepest. It's not, I, I wouldn't try to say for a minute that the only thing you should ever put hope in 
is God. It's, it, it's fine to hope in people on some level. It's fine to hope that, that this pandemic will be done. It's, it's totally fine to hope and to have hope that, that we'll find a, a vaccine and we'll be able to move on and, and rejoin some kind of, of life as it has been before all this hit. But, but what Psalm 42 challenges us to, I believe, is, is that our deepest hope would be in God our deepest, most foundational sense of hope. And he reminds himself, I shall again, he says, put your hope in God, I shall again praise him. This is not the end. How I feel now is not the end. You are my salvation. The one who delivers me, he says, and my God, my creator. So what we see in this first section, we're going to see it repeated in section two and three, is this, this threefold pattern. Honestly describe your distress. Remember God's faithfulness and preach hope to yourself. He repeats it two more times. The second section is, is uh, the, the second half of Psalm 42, verses 6 through 11. And I'm just going to kind of hit the high points of it. He describes his distress as, as metaphorically feeling like, like waves and breakers are crashing over him. I, I've never really been a surfer, but surfers, I'm sure, can understand this. Uh, a couple years ago, I was rafting with my family, and I was thrown from the raft in the middle of a pretty good-sized rapid and ended up caught underneath the boat. That's what I think of in the midst of all this, being turned and, and flipped around, and you're not sure when you're going to get air again. Thankfully, I popped up, and I'm still here, but, but that's the feeling. That's how he describes this. Ultimately, in verse 9 in this second section, he says, he says, God, why have you forgotten me? He's honest in his distress. He's like, God, if I'm honest, I feel like you've left the scene. You're leaving me hanging. I feel like you've forgotten me, but he doesn't just stay there. He describes his distress honestly, but then he remembers God's faithfulness. He mentions in the middle of the psalm, God's steadfast love, which is the Old Testament word for, for God's perfect love, said. His, I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible that I used to read to my kids, but it has some, some brilliant theology in it, even though it's a kid's Bible. It, it describes the, God's Old Testament love as his never giving up always and forever love. I love that. He says, even though I feel like you've forgotten me, God, I remind myself that you will never give up. I feel like you've given up. I feel like you've forgotten, but I'm going to actively remind myself that you have not. And then he preaches to himself, again, why are you cast down, my soul? Why in turmoil hope in God? And then he does it again in Psalm 43, which is the, the, the last section of this. This time he, he honestly asks, and it's a brutal question, he, he feels far from God in the first section, he feels forgotten by God uh, in the second, and in the third section he, he, says, he says, God, why have you rejected me? He feels rejected by God in light of all the things he's, he's suffering. But then he remembers, he looks to a, a future time when, when he will be back in, in Israel, back in, in Jerusalem, celebrating and, and worshiping God with God's people with exceeding joy. And then he preaches again to himself. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he honestly describes his distress. He doesn't stuff his feelings. He doesn't just slap a Bible verse on them as if that makes them disappear. God isn't honored by that. He, he brings 
his gut-wrenching pain to God with honesty as a friend. Then he reminds himself of God's faithfulness. That God has been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful again. He can't see it yet, but he's confident that it will come. And then he preaches to himself, why is my whole being cast down? He doesn't just listen to himself. He doesn't just embrace all his feelings and let them define his reality. He's honest about them. But he actively preaches hope to himself in the midst of it. And I think you see what I mean. Psalm 42 and, and 43, man, they meet us right where we're at today. And I want to consider a bit more practically what this means for us, but there's one thing that we have to consider before we get to that point. And that is that the, the Bible teaches that all Scripture is either anticipating, responding to, or fulfilled by Jesus. And so we need to ask the question, how does this psalm connect to Jesus? I think there's two clear ways. First, Jesus models the same process in his life. And, and I think the most clear example is from the night before his death. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's about to happen to him later that night, all night long through false trials and what will be the ultimate result of his execution the next day. And, and the Gospel of Mark uh, chapter 14 tells the story and it, sa it says uh, he, he, he's in the garden, he has some of his disciples and he says to them in very similar language to Psalm 42, he says, my, so my soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. He expresses his distress, just like the psalmist in, in Psalm 42. He says, my whole being, my, my soul, and the Greek word is, is psyche, which is also a, a very broad term, not just immaterial spiritual self in the same way as nephesh in the Hebrew is. He says, my whole being, my, my soul is, is sorrowful to the point of death. He describes his distress to God, his heavenly father. And then it says, going a little farther, he falls on the ground and prays. Abba, this intimate term for father. Abba, father, all things are possible for you. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness. He says, look, I know you can do anything. I'm confident that you can do anything. All things are possible and then he concludes, yet not what I will, but what you will. He, he dedicates himself to God, submitting himself to God, putting his hope in God. And so Jesus himself models the same thing in his life when he was here on earth, honestly bringing our pain to God, reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness, even in, in difficult circumstances. I would argue that's the most difficult place that any human has ever experienced is Jesus in the garden knowing what is going to happen to him physically, emotionally, and spiritually in less than 24 hours, and then challenging himself to trust and hope in God. But Jesus is more than just our example. He's also the source of our hope. He's the ultimate expression of God's love and deliverance. And the author of Hebrews speaks to this when it says, Therefore let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When the psalmist preaches to himself, hope in God, what the New Testament teaches is that, is that our ultimate hope 
is in what God has done for us through Jesus. The one who endured the cross, the ultimate suffering, the deepest, most profound suffering that any human has ever experienced. His his victorious resurrection over death, how he delivered his people from sin, how he offers them eternal life with him. This is the gospel. And so, so, so the sermon we preach to ourselves when we preach hope in God is, is nothing less than, than the gospel. And the author of Hebrews says that we should consider this and we should remind ourselves of this so that you will not grow weary in your soul, it says. So that you won't grow weary in your soul and give up. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. So we say, To ourselves, why is my soul cast down? And the message we challenge ourselves to is, put your hope in what God has done for us through Jesus. So in light of all that, what does this look like for us? When we're struggling, when we're wondering where God is, when we're depressed, when we're suffering, when we feel accused, When our soul, our whole life, the essence of who we are feels like it's sinking down. There's at least six things from what we've learned from this psalm and and, and then a couple other reflections that I think we can actively do. I want to encourage you towards these things because I know that so many of you are struggling in similar ways to what the psalm talks about, to what I've shared. Number one. I've said it over and over, I'll say it one more time. Be honest about your pain. Journal, pray, pour your heart out to him. He listens and he understands more deeply than any other person in your life. Be honest with God about what you're feeling. That's number one. Number two, remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Remind yourself of his faithfulness from your life in past experiences. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness as it's described in in his word, in the scriptures, by staying close to his word in this time. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness to others that you know, other stories, friends, family, people around you, how he's been faithful to them. He's been faithful before, and we can trust that he will continue to be faithful. So remind ourselves, we must remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Number three, seriously consider where you're putting your hope. You often don't realize where you've put your hope until it fails. In my life, it's very difficult to diagnose misplaced hope until I feel hopeless, right? When you feel let down, when you feel despair, when you feel depressed, when you feel just a a complete lack of hope, that's almost always rooted in putting your hope in in places that can't sustain it. Tim Keller uh, uses these words that I go back to over and over again. He, he, He talks about expecting a good thing to be a God thing. Things like family, spouse, kids, success, your job, your career, your finances, your health, in this current time, even your government, right? These are are good things. They are worth having some level of of trust and hope in, and yet they, none of them, 
are meant to be able to be God things that will be a sure source of hope no matter what. And this season, this time right now is exposing misplaced hope like nothing else that I have ever experienced. Why? Because so much is falling apart. So much is failing, right? We're isolated. The governments are struggling. And that's the nicest way to put it, right? There's so much going on. Even something like like gathering for, for worship in our building. That's a good thing. But we have to remember, God never promised that his people would always be able to gather by the hundreds or more in beautiful buildings. It's not a right. It's not a, it's not a promise of God. It's right to want to. I, I hope we can meet again. I expect we're going to be able to meet again. But I can't put too much hope in that or I'm going to be let down, right? The church has existed for most of its life in smaller groups without big, nice buildings. I love this building that I'm standing in right now, the Southeast Taylor building. I long to gather again. That's not my ultimate hope. It's not my deepest hope. Because God hasn't promised and, and said that it should be. So we have to, to consider where we place our hope. And then we need to, number four, preach the gospel of Jesus to ourselves. The good news of Jesus. And here's an example. I'm going to get very personal with this. Here's an example of what this looked like for me. I, I mentioned this earlier. A pastor friend of mine, uh, back in May, he committed suicide. His name was Darren. This is all in the news media. I'm not saying anything private in what I'm about to say. Now, suicide is always devastating. It, it, in some ways, I think it's, it might be the ultimate expression of, of human hopelessness and, and despair. It, it's ending your life, right? But man, this hit me in a deep way personally. I found myself quickly just just questioning a whole bunch of my life, especially major aspects of the church, major aspects of of being in vocational ministry. I've been in vocational ministry for, for a long time now. I've seen a lot of difficult things. I've seen a lot of people struggle and fall and fail. And when I heard about Darren, to me, it's like, geez, man, what, what are we even doing in this? And, and here's why. As I, as I poured my heart out to God, as I, as I talked to friends who knew him, as I kind of processed it with my counselor, I started to realize a little bit of, more of what was behind my, my personal devastation. Uh, uh, the brief story is, is that Darren was removed from leadership at his church about five years ago for patterns of, of sin and abuse of power. It happens way too often. Unfortunately, it happens way too often uh, to, to leaders I personally know over the years. The longer you're in ministry, the more you see leaders experience burnout, the more you see them be removed, the more you see them, them walk away, and not always just from churches, but sometimes their families and from faith altogether. It's incredibly disheartening. It's incredibly discouraging. But Darren, when he was removed, he did something different than a lot of others that I've experienced. And he actually was humble and he, he let people speak into his life. He didn't just push back in a self-righteous way. He, he let people speak into his life. He, he went through a years-long 
restoration process. And he came out of the other side and he, he used his story to encourage others towards healthy patterns in ministry and, and leadership. His story gave me hope. His story gave me hope because I've seen so many other people fail and I've experienced so much in my own life. And here's where it gets tricky. This is the tricky part about this hope issue. In one sense, I think it's totally right for me to feel hope from Darren's story. But in another sense, our hope always has to be most deeply rooted in God's story more than any other human story. And what I realized is I had maybe drawn too much, too much of an unhealthy hope from Darren's story. The only, the only story that will, will never, ever let me down is the story of Jesus. And so I preached a little sermon to myself. Hope in God. Just because Darren gave in to despair, I, I don't know what led him to make that decision. But on some level, I assume it was a despair. It was a giving up on some level. But just because that happened to Darren, it doesn't shake the trustworthiness of Jesus. And it doesn't shake that his plan is still to work through local churches as messed up and broken as they all are. So we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves at the point of deepest despair and most profound hopelessness. We consider where we put our hope and we preach the gospel to ourselves, hope in God, to return over and over again our deepest sense of hope to Him. Number five, do all of these things that I've just mentioned in community. This is not an individual experience. We have to share our pain with one another. We have to remind one another of God's faithfulness. We have to, to point out misplaced hopes in one another. And we have to preach the good news of Jesus as our deepest hope to one another. We simply cannot often see our deepest, most profound misplaced hopes in ourself. It takes others speaking into our lives. If you are trying to go this alone, you will constantly be a victim of your own blind spots. And this is not just the work of the well-educated or paid professionals. This is not just the work of pastors to do on the people of their church. This is not just what a staff does for the church. They're involved in it. But this is what all followers of Jesus are called to do for one another. We all are called to be people of the gospel that speak that gospel truth into one another's lives. And this is our deepest hope for community groups at our church. They're not perfect, especially in this season, but they're a good start. We want you to gather in groups as often as you can and share your life in this way. Be honest about your pain and speak truth and hope and love into one another's lives. So please, please connect relationally to a group if you haven't done so already. And lastly, and this isn't explicitly in the text, but I feel like it's a vital point that if I don't make, could lead to some serious misunderstandings, and that is this, that this process includes your whole life, not just your spirit or your spiritual life. 
Like we said earlier, the, the, the idea of soul in this psalm is, is the essence of life. It's not just the spiritual. We're whole people. We're mental, physical, and relational as well as spiritual. And so putting your hope in God is certainly about prayer and Bible and fellowship, but it's also about more than that. The last thing I want, to take, I want you, to, you to take away from this message is just name your pain, preach to yourself, and everything will get better. It may, it may not. That's part of it. But you also need to consider some practical things. Consider where you're at mentally and emotionally. Are there ways of thinking that keep you in distress? Do you need a counselor to help you untangle the knots? I was prideful and foolish and dismissive of counseling for the vast majority of my life until I hit such a wall. I had to reach out to help and counselors have played an important role in my life. If you need that, and you feel like you could use that help, reach out to us. We can help recommend a counselor in the area, and if you can't afford it, we may be able to help. So consider where you're at mentally and emotionally, and consider where you're at physically. You're a human being that has a physical body. Are there, are there physical things that could contribute to your distress and depression? Are your hormones out of whack? Should, uh, should you consider medication? Do you drink too much? Do you sleep enough? Do you exercise? Do you eat decent food? If you are in a deep, dark place, scripture and prayer and community are vital, but if there's something physically off in your life, scripture and prayer won't necessarily change that. It's going to require some other action. Many of us need counseling. Some need medication. Some need to be more physically helpful. Prayer, sorry, physically healthy. Prayer won't, won't fix all that. And I'm passionate about this because I personally struggle with this so much in my own life. I need people in my life. I need the scriptures. I have to constantly remind myself to hope in God because I forget. I'll probably forget later today. I need to see a counselor on and off. I'm seeing them regularly now because I'm, this has been a rough season. I need to lift heavy weights to keep my mind straight. My adrenal and my hormone system are jacked from 22 and a half years of stressful ministry and I need medication to fix myself. And I have to consider all of this to move towards anything like health and hope in God. I have to consider all this. I want you to as well. And most of all, I want you to put your hope most deeply in God who created you, who loves you, who knows you more deeply than you know yourself or anyone else knows you, who sent his only son to die for you and who makes a way for us to walk closely through him so I walk closely with him. And who makes a way to walk closely with him through all of life, the good times and the bad, to his glory and our joy and our satisfaction. So let's pray together. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. We need your word. I need your word. We are desperate in the middle of such a disorienting and difficult season 
in our lives, in the life of our city, in the life of our country, in the life of the world. Just ask that you would draw us close to you, that we would be honest about our pain, that we would remember your faithfulness, and that we would challenge ourselves and one another to hope in what you have done for us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.